Welcome to the KMP Interactive Marketing and Technology Podcast. In this edition, you'll hear three speeches from the KMP Social Network Marketing Seminar, held at London's Tiger Tiger on the 29th of November 2007. The keynote speaker is KMP Chairman Bill Daring, followed by Mark Rogers from Market Sentinel, and finally Fergus Burns, founder of Nooked. 2006-2007 has been a dramatic time. What we're seeing is that the world is changing. We've seen for some time that teenagers have been abandoning traditional media, even though that there's more TV channels, more radio channels, more channels generally available now than there ever were before in the traditional media. We're seeing whole industries change. So the effect of this social networking is changing industries very, very fast. Your brand is being played out online, whether you like it or not. So what's happening? Well, on the internet there's been a change. And this change we're calling Web 2.0. What's Web 2.0? Well, my definition is a group of technologies and platforms that have created this change and allow people to interact with each other. Customer experience management comes to the fore now, and voice of the consumer comes to the fore. So they're two little acronyms that we, we need to take note of. So I'm going to be trying to cover this space in my keynote. The major change that we've seen over the last few years is that customer content, or user-generated content, is now not something just an annoyance, if you like, that we've got to avoid or manage. It is now the web and will be the web. So the first area I'd like to talk about in terms of user-generated content is blogs and blogging. A blog is different from other forms of user-generated content as it comes from one person. So one person's opinion where he captures his thoughts on a regular basis in the same way that you would keep a log or a diary. And he's often passionate about something and people follow him because of his passions. So if we look at the dramatic change in blogs over the last few years, you can see this last year we're talking about, 2006 to 2007, we've doubled the amount of blogs. So all of a sudden, blogs are starting to get some status. And if we look at the last year again, we can see they're seen as credible as a source of information on the web. Photo and media sharing, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. You all know what Flickr is. Okay, I'll explain. Flickr is just a, a way in which you can upload your photographs on the web and share them with people. If you go to our blog, you'll see that there is a Flickr badge, a widget which holds a number of photographs. And if you were to click onto one of those photographs, we're inviting you to add comment and engage with us regarding that photograph. And so we're building community through our portfolio of photographs on the web. And if you wanted to see a, a slideshow, you could see a slideshow. TripAdvisor, okay? Who uses TripAdvisor? Ah, that's better. <laughs> okay. So you're all familiar with the fact you can now rate, uh, or customers can now rate products. I think you have to be fairly brave and say, if you're going to open your product to criticism and rating from the public, you're going to have to take the negative with the positive. The stats show actually that 70% of people, when they actually put comment on the web, 70% of people are positive. And if you respond in a positive way, then you're going to enhance your, your brand anyway. So if someone gives you a negative rating 
and you respond by saying thank you very much for that we're going to do something about it that adds value to your brand so there is a technology company in fact called Bizarre Voice who manages the rating process and manages the comments as you can see there are 76 comments from this hotel what you do is you get value then and you can turn the value of the ratings into a valuable page information that defines that particular product for a particular audience. Social networks. And you all know about Facebook and MySpace, but there are hundreds of communities online. Defined segments that we can actually approach as marketeers. The phenomenon started in the early part of this year, as you can see, and Facebook has been growing fivefold since probably February. We started getting interested in Facebook. I think there were about a million UK users. I think there's about five or six now. And you can see they've been gaining share against MySpace and Bebo. Okay, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what Facebook is. How many of you that have got Facebook have used it in business? I use my Facebook as a LinkedIn. So most people on Facebook are professional, either in the company or external to the company. And what I'm trying to do is add value to my brand, effectively, which is me. But we also join groups and uh, we congregate within Facebook to find out about what's going on in our interest groups. So you can see on the left-hand side are groups that my friends have uh, joined and there's groups that, that I want to be part of. Back in March, we set up a group called Interactive and Digital Marketing. So we set it up and we got 64 people in our region that joined it very quickly, in, within a week. And what we then did was we put an ad on that group and we were able to recruit an account director. That saved me £7,000 in recruitment fees. And it all happened in three weeks. So, okay, it's not a big uh, business application, but it, it saved me money. Two or three weeks ago, Facebook opened up pages to companies. So, previously we were talking about sponsoring groups on Facebook at £25,000 a month. And then we went from that to free. So, we are now looking at what can we do in terms of using company Facebook sites. So that's the space we're in at the moment. Another feature of Web2 is social bookmarking. You'll notice that in a lot of articles now, they're inviting you to bookmark the page, and then this would go, let's say, to Delicious, and you can share your bookmarks. There's so much information out now, I wouldn't know how to keep up with it unless I use Delicious, because the people in my network who I know are reading, I tag on to them and say, what are they reading? So if they've read it, I keep up to date with it. So they bookmark articles they think are interesting, and so we try and share the, uh, the work effort in keeping up with what's going on. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about sharing your information. Really simple syndication RSS feeds. Again, I'm sure most of you know what this is, but I'm just going to go very basic to start off with. Someone creates some content, that then goes into a feed, which is then syndicated across the web. So that's what RSS is, and in practical terms, if I wanted to draw down on the buzz machine on Jeff Jarvis's blog, you'll see at the top there, there's a, an RSS button. 
If I click on that, I'm presented with an option to read that feed in a Google Reader. So I keep up to date then with what's going on by drawing down this information. Going back to our own blog, you'll see that we're using FeedBurner. FeedBurner gives us the option to embed our content in a widget. A widget is a piece of code that you can embed in a website. Okay? So what happens is that we allow you to publish our blog on your website by embedding that code. There are a number of uh, RSS feed readers. NetVibes, you'll see, is, uh, is one of them. And on Facebook now, you've got an application where you can download a blog feed. Another way of sharing information is podcasting. I'm now going to tell you about other ways in which we can actually share data. So Facebook opened up their platform in March, and that's been the driver for the fantastic growth that we've seen in Facebook. What they said is, we're going to open up our site interface, come and share our information, build applications for us. So we now know that there are 7,000 Facebook applications currently, 168,000 Facebook developers, all for free. Facebook have got nothing to do with them. They just go in, build applications that you see on the right-hand side and create these applications. And as a result, 29 million downloads of these applications go on in 24 hours. So, for example, Eastern Promises, here's the application. And when you download that application, you get video, you get games, you get competitions. It's a promotion. This is a big space now. We're currently developing three applications for Facebook. Anyone know what Basecamp is? Basecamp is a, an application service provider, a company called 37signals. Just, just tell you some numbers here. This is really Web2. There are eight of them based in Chicago, Denmark, and New York. We're a customer. We pay $149 a month. They're reported to have a million customers. I'll just say that again. Eight people, $149 million a month. It's really massive change in how business is going to take place. And the way they've done it is they've created this application They've given it away in the same way Google did. They gave it all away, and as soon as people started to use it, they turned on the clock. And so we, we buy it. You can get it for free, and it's a project management tool. I'm letting you into our project management. All the, um, all the projects are down the side here. This is what we're late on. I mean, there's, there's more information on that home page. But what happens is that if we go into a particular project, you can see that I'm assign myself a task and I've got to do those tasks and I can put my time against them if I click on that button I can put my time against against it now if we look at the time reporting in Basecamp that's all they give you they have this philosophy that you know their business is just to keep their application as simple as possible but they're going to open up the API okay they're going to open up the interface so for other people that want to do invoicing or reporting, or anything else that's to do with this application, they'll let them do it for free. So now what, what you'll see is that what we've done is we've put some numbers in brackets in the text input. Now that is our estimated time for doing that task. So what we've then done is we've created our own application, which we've called BC Toolkit, which we're selling to other people that use Basecamp. And you'll see 
we now have the ability to do an estimated versus actual and the variance, okay? So BC Toolkit is our application. It's using, you can't use it unless you're a, a Basecamp user. So this is now another way of interfacing applications. So we've got three sorts of API. There's the Flickr and the Google, which we explained earlier. You know, so the Flickr badges interfacing with the application of Flickr. There's the MySpace and Facebook application, which we talked about. And then there's the runtime environment. And Basecamp and Salesforce are applications that are used in everyday business and you can now integrate with the APIs to create reporting on top of that. So APIs are changing the way people are doing business. Okay, I'm going to round up now with a few kind of marketing case studies and, you know, lighten up a bit. <laughs> Hopefully that was, was everyone with me on that, at that, at that part. Okay, so let's just talk historically first of all. Anyone remember Terry Tate? No? And the story here is that Reebok created a... Uh, I think it was about a, a, a five-minute video to run in the 2000 Super Bowl at half-time. And the guy is a, is a linebacker, and he kind of chops people's legs away when they don't have fax covers. And it was a bit of a spoof thing, and it was a, a big joke. However, once on the net, always on the net, this is on YouTube now, 1.4 million people have looked at this this year. The video was made in 2000. It, there are eight individual soap episodes. So they had some TV time back in early 2000s. But it's on YouTube, and this particular one has had 1.4 million views this year. So once on the net, always on the net. We're taking existing content, and we're reusing it. So we bring that up to date. We know the Sunny Bravia campaign. If they had enough courage, they could just let it run on the net because all of the campaigns started on cinema and then the net, and now they're on to TV as well. But this is a more up-to-date way you're looking at integrated communications across, <coughs> across the online and offline media. So that's now become standard. Anyone know the Mentos story? No? Okay. Some shaking heads one way, some shaking heads the other, so I'll go through it. There's an urban myth that if you eat a Mentos and drink Diet Coke, you'll die, you'll explode. We had all sorts of homemade videos showing Mentos going into Diet Coke bottles. At that point, Coke got very worried about this and they tried to cease and desist the people that were producing these videos online. But Mentos got hold of them and said, well, we like what you're doing, make us a video. These were the original guys. And this is now a major phenomenon. They're doing road shows and all sorts of things, and Coke are behind them as well. Okay, so what started off as a bit of fun has turned into mainstream marketing. Daft Punk have just launched their campaign, and they've done their whole campaign now through a widget. Remember the widget I showed you earlier? Okay, so what we've got on the widget, you can actually get some news, so you can incorporate this into your blog or onto your Facebook site or wherever and people will be able to read the news 
look at some photos, blah, 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 and link through to the, the website, the MySpace site, the YouTube site, and the Facebook site. That's it. That's their campaign. Their actual website is just a picture, some music, and a registration to the newsletter. The YouTube is full of videos of their concerts. MySpace site is a classic music MySpace network, and they have the Facebook site. So from my perspective, this is Web2 rolling itself out in a marketing framework. Good morning. So uh, thanks very much for coming along. My name's Mark Rogers. I'm from a company called Market Sentinel. As Bill said, I'm going to be taking um, the conversation on a little bit to talk about uh, brands and what all this means. Um, there was a report last week or the week before published by PQ Media in the States um, who estimate that the amount of spending on what they call word-of-mouth marketing in this current year in the US will be $1 billion, which sounds like quite a lot of money. It is quite a lot of money. But to put it in context, um, it was 0.4% of all uh, marketing spend in the previous year, 2006, uh, social media marketing. And by social media marketing, you would include things like uh, creating blogs, creating online communities, uh, interacting with those communities, setting up Flickr groups, all this kind of thing. However, that sector is growing at uh, five times the rate of any other sector in the marketing mix. So while all conventional marketing, such as email marketing, uh, direct mail, uh, television advertising, radio advertising, display advertising, um, all of those sectors are declining relatively. This area is, is hugely growing. And uh, the answer is not far to find. It's to do with where people are spending their time. People are spending their time demonstrably online. And they're not necessarily turning on the TV in the evening. They're going onto MySpace. They're going onto Facebook. Um, and you know that's what they're doing. They're interacting with other people, not, by the way, with um, you know the brand or whoever it is that, that, that might be able to, uh, might be looking to, to talk to them. So that presents a real problem for advertisers. Um, and um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that we're going into a recession after the uh, credit uh, squeeze in the summer. I think it'll, be a, it'll take a little bit of time, but it's going to happen. And, um, and what's going to happen during that recession is everyone's going to be looking at their marketing budget. And when they look at their marketing budget, they're going to go, well, hang on, I advertised in the space on Coronation Street a couple of years ago, and I spent X. And I can see I got Y, but I advertised again. I spent the same money, and I got Y minus 5%. And then I got Y minus 2.7%. And over time, I'm getting less return on my money from those kinds of spends. And there's a whole industry out there up in Soho and around in London that is essentially predicated on that way of doing things, on going into channels, buying space, getting the, the, the message out there in the spaces, hitting the, the key demographics that have been defined for many years by you know, um, people going up and down high streets with, uh, with clipboards, and, and getting the, the marketing return on the dollar. That's not going to happen in the future. And where people are going to have to go is into these networks to figure out how you talk to people in this new context of social media. And that's where we come in. And I'll talk very briefly about Market Sentinel, and I'll talk a little bit about some case studies and some ways in which people are beginning to try and get that conversation started, get that social media marketing, whatever you call it, word of mouth marketing. I've heard it called connected marketing. Um, get that conversation going. 
So we look at a few different ways uh, where people can essentially find out where they start the conversation. We're in the measurement business. So a lot of money that gets spent in conventional media is essentially, from our perspective, unmeasured. You can measure, of course, the uplift in um, uh, the sales of your product, but you never quite know what the direct relationship is. Uh, online is, is kind of nice in some ways from that perspective, or scary in others, which is, and I used to work for Amazon, and, and one of the things at Amazon was you could track the impact of every single marketing dollar, pretty much. You know, if you spend a bit of money with an affiliate, you knew what you were getting from that affiliate. You knew what the margin on the product was, you knew what the margin on the shipping was. You could, you could track every single cent that you'd spent on your marketing. And that, of course, made it really easy to make decisions about where you were going in terms of online spending. When you go in offline, you started putting posters up on the tube, you know, you're in slightly hand-wavy territory there. We measure, uh, in terms of these conversations, a couple of things. We look at who is authoritative about a brand, who is authoritative about a topic, and I'll come on to that later. So let's say you're in a very competitive business. You want to be the cheap gas supply. When people think about cheap gas, they want your eon. You, know, you, you want to be thought of as, uh, as a preeminent uh, uh, supplier of cheap gas. You can actually measure whether you have that reputation using the internet. The internet as it exists in all these conversations, these social media conversations, could be seen as a kind of a database where all these conversations that used to take place in an unmeasurable way can now be measured. So in the past, when you might have gone into the pub and said, you know, if you switch supplier, who's good, who's bad? You know, obviously nobody was sitting with a uh, clipboard, I hope, or, or, or shorthand noting down that conversation. But now if you go online uh, onto MySpace or you go into your, um, you know, a football fans forum or wherever you go and you go, who's good? And there are a number of different responses. Well, software like ours can go into those things and actually understand what the consensus is. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but uh, that's the basis of the, of, the, of the science. And you can also look at using uh, a methodology developed by uh, a guy called Fred Reich held in the 1990s. Um, you can look at who's recommending you. And that's a really key driver. So in word of mouth, of course, there are all kinds of word of mouth conversations going on. Um, and the thing you want to understand, of course, is you know, what makes me lovable? Um, and, and why, if people hate me, why do they hate me? Um, and, um, you know, because brands are like human beings, you know, they have good points and bad points. And um, Fred Reichel had, some, had uh, some very good work in the 1990s uh, looking at what he called loyalty, things that drive loyalty, and came up with a rather wonderfully simple test, which is you could go out and ask a consumer, would you recommend this brand, this company, and if the answer is yes, that person, in his jargon, is a promoter. If the answer is no, that person is a detractor. Again, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the essence of it. And then you deduct the detractors from the promoters, hence net promoters. Market Central apply that to uh, online reputations of brands and benchmark them one against another. So you can see what's driving your positive word of mouth, what's driving your negative word of mouth, and you can take action. So uh, I'm going to kind of recap a little bit on what Bill was talking about. I think there are three elements in all this which are really interesting if you're in a communications business. And I mean, I would include, I mean, marketing is, is clearly the, the heart of this, but I'd include uh, people that um, uh, are in any kind of communications business. You know, if you want to be talking to uh, investors, if you want to be talking to um, 
anyone that, that interacts, customer service, any, any cons, cons, communication function within the business has to be interested in all this. So one of the key aspects of, uh, of the changes that are upon us, one is it's live. Now, it never used to be live, this stuff. Let's say there was a stink in relation to your business. Um, you know, you'd done something pretty bad. You'd, you'd, you know, your, your, uh, the, the confectionery that you sell was, was, was poisoning people. That's a real example. Um, you could kind of uh, manage it because probably it only happened in isolated places and you could maybe manage the problem before it got up to mainstream media and you could deal with that, ring people up you know, uh, deal with the problem. Now people can go online and other people can see what's happening and those people can link with each other and go, wow, you had food poisoning too. I wonder what's going on. And before you know it, these things uh, happen and they're upon you. And if you're in corporate comms, and to be honest, working at the speed that corporate comms used to work, where everything has to go through lawyers and, you know, there's a process and blah, 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 you can often be flat-footed, caught flat-footed by this, this speed of development. Um, I, and I think we've, we've kind of covered this, but there is a kind of nice global element to this. So, I'm just going to do a couple of case studies just to show this isn't just hot air. Avis, um, in a nutshell, they started by monitoring how they were doing against Hertz. Their issue was that Hertz were much stronger than them on um, business users. And Hertz were very good, uh, sorry, Avis were very good on leisure users, not so hot on, on business. Guess where there's more money to be made? Business users, they're less price sensitive. So Avis had to figure out what they needed to do to get those business users. And what they did was, first of all, they monitored what the conversations were. And the conversations were all around things that, um, in some ways, were quite trivial. Hertz provided uh, something called Never Lost, which was a GPS system. Avis didn't provide SatNav. It was on their to-do list, but they hadn't done it yet. Um, Hertz provided really cool cars when you were in their loyalty scheme. So if you hired a certain number of times, you got a really cool car one weekend, which you could take uh, you know, your partner out in and uh, take a photograph of yourself and put it on Flickr, which is what a lot of their users were doing. Um, and uh, also, um, a lot of people were complaining about Avis's contract. It was a little bit opaque. There were hidden charges and so on. So what Avis did was, first of all, they fixed those things. They introduced GPS. They simplified the contract and they started offering Aston Martins to really hardcore, uh, you know, Avis uh, preferred user loyalty scheme members. And then, after they'd done that for a few months, they, they set up a, a little blog called We Try Harder, which was, interestingly, a joint venture between marketing and customer service. Because if you think about the conversations that take place about car rental, I don't know about you, but whenever I rent a, rent a car, it's not a question of what's right, it's often a question of what's wrong. You know, it's kind of like, you know, they missed a scuff mark, or there is a small scuff mark, or, you know, is it all right, or does the rear uh, uh, luggage rack sit correctly, or, you know, just niggles of, of one kind or another. So they understood that to talk to the people who, who, who they wanted to be positive about them, they had to pass via this sort of minefield littered with minor niggles. So they realized that actually marketing and customer service need to work together. They set the blog up. In fact, the, it was a board level decision to set the blog up. They were terribly worried about it. Not, worried is perhaps too strong a word, but they, they knew it was a major decision for the business, even though the, the cash investment was very low. Um, and they, they uh, got very good hand-holding, including from us, when they were doing it. We, but we were their partner with a company called uh, Web Liquid in doing all this. We, we were the measurements and uh, advice people involved. 
And, um, and what um, Avis then did was to then start talking about what they were doing. And immediately, there were a couple of quite negative people who came onto the blog and they sort of said, why are you doing this? What I want is lower prices and better service. And first of all, Avis went, whoa, 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 what's going on? And then they realized, actually, yes, let's explain ourselves. Let's re-explain ourselves. We thought we had explained ourselves, but apparently we hadn't. And they responded to that and said, we're doing this blog because we want to, A, really fix the things that are broken, and B, do a better job of you know, the stuff that isn't broken. Um, and that person, or one of the people who made one of the most aggressive blogs, was seen a, a month or so ago on a completely different forum going, Avis UK have really got it sorted out. If you want to, if, don't worry about Avis US. If you have a problem with Avis, just come to the UK guys. They're brilliant. They've got this blog. They'll answer you. These people have turned into really wonderful uh, promoters, not just promoters, but evangelists for the brand. So there's a kind of interesting challenge here, which is everybody to start with is a bit nervous. But once the conversation starts, there are huge benefits to be had from it. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm going to cover a, a couple of things. Uh, Bill sort of did an introduction on RSS and widgets earlier on, so I'll try and expand on that. Um, I'll try and not go overly technical on any of the subjects. If I'm going too technical, please put your hand up and tell me to stop. Um, I'll try and introduce some case studies and what we've done and what other people have done around feeds and widgets and uh, give you a flavour of what's, uh, what's possible. So, Quick piece about Nuked, we're an Irish company with uh, an R&D centre in Poland. Our focus has been on RSS and widgets. Our background is IMEX Microsoft. The team has met up with people that worked in XML and Web2 related services. Um, we focus around widget marketing. We've got clients like the Channel 4, Ryanair, Superbreak Budget, Ukes, IPC, a mixture of publishers, retailers um, specifically. So more or less about RSS 101. Um, so RSS has been around um, for about 10 years. It started off in Netscape, um, and then it was added into Internet Explorer. Uh, it stands for really simple syndication. Um, it's also known as feeds or web feeds. Um, basically what it is in, in its nature is XML. It's a basic web service. It's how you describe a piece of content. So now what I'll do is I'll talk a wee bit about feed marketing because there's been a lot of talk about RSS and widgets, more or less, why should I use them? You know, why should I give my content away? How can I make money? How can I engage people through this, uh, through this outlet? So I'll talk a wee bit about feed marketing. So we break feed marketing into sort of three types. Um, so there's feed publishing, which is basically Bill showed with, uh, with their blog. Um, you also see like with corporations like Cadbury's, um, Pfizer, you know, anybody from the sort of FTSE 100 through to a small startup are beginning to use RSS feeds, primarily for PR and sort of Marcom's um, publications. Um, they use it on their blogs, um, they use it around podcasting and also around vid vidcasting. So it's more as feed publishing and just getting my content out there in this format. The other one is feed advertising. So how can I engage people that are consuming RSS feeds with our brand? So how can I get my my brand or my name or my product information into these feeds. Um, I'll show you an example of how that in the context of a, a really popular um, blog called TechCrunch. And then the last part is more or less about feed marketing and Mark touched on it, you know, where the trend is um, advertising is shifting more around information provision. 
rather than sort of trying to spam people to get their attention. So I'll talk a wee bit now about widgets and from where we come from, you know, nearly all widgets have to be RSS driven because there has to be some form of content being pushed out through them, whether it's uh, what Bill showed in terms of Flickr, um, podcasting or whatever, um, all widgets have some form of sort of content that's driving it and RSS just makes that a whole lot easier um, to, to create and manage. So quick thing on widgets, so who's all heard of widgets, gadgets, stuff like that? Okay, I'll put my hand up. I didn't come up with any of these terms, um, but if you go, I think Business Week at the start of this year said 2007 is the year of the widget. So, you know, widget as a term I think is here to stay. Um, <coughs> I'll show you in a minute, like Google, I just read there, Yahoo have updated their widget engine. So all the, again, the big web players are all investing heavily in their sort of widget platforms, whether it's Facebook, MySpace, Bebo, uh, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo. So they all talk about widgets or gadgets. Um, ultimately what they're talking about are small applications that are made up of, they can either be pure flash, as in MySpace, they can be JavaScript, you know, they can use an XML source or a SS source, you know, so they're sort of, they're not, they're not something you can knock up in two minutes, but there is tools out there, you probably have a widget created in, in, in less than 10. Um, the whole idea is distribution everywhere. Um, so a really good example is YouTube. YouTube was just another video website, but the big thing with YouTube and Flickr was I could take my videos or I could take a selection of videos and put them on my blog. Um, Last FM is another great case study in the UK here where you had you know this music service where I could stick my badge or widget on my blog and the people that were looking at my blog had an idea then of what my music interests were. Um, so it's all about distribution you know so when we if you're in the marketing and publishing world you know this is the holy grail um, and if you can get distribution for free it's even better. Um, and also brand stickiness. You know, YouTube is a great example of where there was a lot of brand stickiness. There was a lot of awareness because you were, you were seeing, oh, my friends have this on their blog or on their Facebook profile. How do I get one? You know, so that whole um, <coughs> virtuous circle. So these are some examples. So this is New York Times on Facebook, which is, yeah, so that's a Facebook. I'll show you some more Facebook examples because they're pretty. Facebook don't call them widgets. They call them applications. For the purpose of this talk and in the industry, it's the same thing. It's just a wee bit of uh, gamesmanship in terms of terminology between the vendors. So this is the Kudos app on Facebook. So I can go in and select the different products that I want. So here you can see is the product image, headline. You know, so, so their USP here is the price point. So you can see there's big savings, um, much to my detriment with Mrs. Burns. Um, <laughs> And it's all about sharing. You know, the key thing is sharing these products with your friends within your Facebook network. Here's a web widget here. So it's the same idea here. This sits in the sidebar of your blog. You can select the products that you put in there. You can either do this, as Mark touched on, where you're an advocate of the brand, or you can do it as a sort of commission-based salesperson, like an affiliate. What's driving this, again, is all RSS feeds. Um, it's, it's driving all this content. So the next one up is Ryanair, so you think Ryanair, you know, very big company, big sort of online presence, you know, what are they gonna do around widgets and, and be innovative? So we work with, with Ryanair, and the, 
it's what they, the key thing for them was how can they make it easier for people to engage with the Ryanair brand from their desktop. You know, so the trick was one click away from Ryanair.com. Um, because it's all about repeat business, it's all about pushing these special offers. You know, we work with our marketing guy, he sort of goes, you think I would have the best job in the world, whereas to basically sell, sell seats for free. You know, that's what he's more or less been told by Michael O'Leary, you know, but it's not as easy as that in terms of um, how you engage with people. So more or less was, how do you come up with a simple application to deliver offers onto the desktop, and at the same time capture intentions from people? So get people to tell you, what, you know, where's their home airport, what sort of destinations are they looking for, and more or less then, how can we track the, the activity, the ROI around this. So what we created was this desktop widget um, for both Vista and Windows XP. And we only put this live about three weeks ago. Um, as you can see, you know, so it's basically headline, bit of text, click back to the website. Also use the opportunity to embed all these links back to the website share with your friends. So within six weeks, we've no PR, no nothing, there's just a link on their website, 35,000 downloads. With the offers that they're putting out, they're getting a 35% click-through rate. Um, and they've done that with a mix of offers, which is a general offer to 35,000 people, and in some cases where they do a specific offer to the people maybe that are looking for cheap flights between, say, London, Stansted, or Paris, Beauvais where they know that there is so many thousand people looking for that special offer. So they've, that's taken from their intentions. Social networks, up until Facebook, it was very hard to get into the social networks without paying a significant tax. You know, so MySpace and Bebo were, uh, yeah, we let you put a widget onto us, but you have to do a biz dev arrangement with us first. Facebook came along and sort of upset the Apple car, for they said, you know, it's an open platform, you guys can sort of build your applications, we don't charge you anything for doing it. And, and they've created, I think, last count is, you know, there's three or 400,000 uh, applications now running on Facebook where developer keys have been issued. It's gone, you know, the first generation of Facebook apps were things like Booze Mail and Super Poke and stuff like that. You know, but now you're seeing very large companies like Ryanair and people like that are looking at Facebook, you know, but they sort of go six million plus people in the UK, you know, 15 million in their sort of market, how do we engage through this, this opportunity? Um, so Facebook have upset the Apple Car. I'll touch a wee bit on the open social initiative which Bill mentioned, which is basically MySpace and Bebo and all the other social networks, as I call the anti-Facebook alliance, have come together and they more or less said, well, we've got this open social initiative which is we intend to open up our platforms and we're creating this sort of one model for creating widgets or platform widgets or applications that will run across a variety of networks. Because at the moment, you know, the Film 4 app, if we were to do that for MySpace, we would have to re-engineer that app to get it to work on MySpace. And the same for Bebo. So ultimately, as a purchaser of services, the cost point will go down once open social becomes a reality. Um, you've got directories like Widgetbox and Snipperoo. And then you got the web, you know, which is the sort of the, the blogs and stuff like that. One little side note on widgets, if you use JavaScript widgets, it's great for SEO because ultimately there are links back to your website. Um, there's a company we know in Ireland that's got an online poll service called Poll Daddy. And, you know, I think they're number three in Google for polls, you know, all by basically embedding um, 
stuff into their widget to drive traffic back. You know, so if you're, uh, if you're using web widgets, it's a great way of uh, driving up SEO. So Facebook, just touch on that. It's six million plus active users in the UK. It's driving traffic everywhere. Tap into that Facebook social graph. The open socials, the Google Alliance. At the moment, it's more an intention to make it happen. But the reality is there's no meaningful apps will be developed for another couple of months because all the technology details is not, is not fully um, transparent to either us as companies that do stuff in that market. Um, but it, the, the reality is the intention is very clear um, that cons marketers will be able to write applications to deploy in these networks for zero cost, um, and which, is, which is good news for everybody. Um, with Facebook, as you've seen with Film 4, what you're going to see with the Ryanair one, what you've seen with Big Brother, basically a lot of that is driven by having good content sources, whether it's uh, RSS feeds, stuff in microformats, or whatever. So when we were doing the stuff with Film 4, a lot of their review information, we basically had to get them to mark up their review information in the H review format. So for them doing it on, with, with that structured data meant that we could write the app very simply rather than having to go and scrape this data and to go into a big long development cycle. So in summary, you know, the key thing is have to have an RSS strategy. You know, whether it's about engaging people with RSS, but ultimately where the big trend is, is having RSS as the core to drive other things like widgets and Facebook applications. With widgets, you know, it's all about experimentation. You know, again, the barrier to entry is quite low. Um, you know, so to do a one-off widget, whether it's for a desktop or a web widget or whatever, you know, you've got companies like KMP. You know, a lot of the agencies are now beginning to provide widget development services. Facebook opportunity, I think, is, is immense in the UK. And ultimately, then, it's down to measurement. So that's probably, that's where the plug is for, for our company. But there's also a race to arms where, well, how can I measure cross-network? You know, so the more that Mark showed with how do you measure your exposure with brands, the same thing's happening with widgets and RSS. Things to consider um, around uh, campaign is going against my MySpace campaign. So at the moment, you know, there's a lot of activity around that. Open social makes our life a wee bit easier because we can, uh, we can make that uh, modeling around measurement a wee bit easier. Um, but they're the things to consider. Um, around uh, me measurement across a variety of networks. At the moment, you could do tactical, do one platform at a time, but then ultimately, how do you join it all together to have a holistic view? So I think that's more or less uh, me finished. Thank you very much.